Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is the BFFs podcast. That is right. It is not Friday, nor will it ever be Friday again when we do the BFFs, unless we change our minds again, because we do that here a lot. We're switching up the schedule a little bit. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. He's Stephen Means. So now we're calling it Buckeye Football Futures, until we switch it back to Fridays at some point in the future. And then we'll call it Buckeye Futures Friday again. But we're going to be doing some other things on Fridays, but we want to keep doing this recruiting hit each week. We think it has been popular with our listeners. So thanks to those of you who've been joining us each week and uh, we've enjoyed doing it and we think it's an important thing to do. So we're going to keep coming at you with throughout the summer with a weekly podcast dedicated to Ohio state recruiting, mostly football recruiting. So I think Buckeye football futures, I think I, I called it that accidentally a few times, right? In the early days, we couldn't fair. I could never remember what I was calling this. Yeah. It got to the point where it was almost just easier to just say, welcome to BFF because I think we were kind of going back and forth between what it was. Well, like I said earlier this week on the pod, the, the listeners can decide what they want the Fs to stand for and they can use their imagination. So, But for today, it is Buckeye Football Futures, and we are talking about the receiver room. Last week, we talked about running backs. This week, we are talking about Brian Hartline's group. And over the years, you would, at various times, you would say, well, defensive end is like what Ohio State is known for from a recruiting standpoint, or maybe it's cornerback. Right now, I guess quarterback is – probably number one, but isn't receiver like 1B? Don't you feel like this is almost becoming like the identity of the program that they go out and get players at this position above all else? Yeah, wide receiver has almost become a byproduct of what they've been able to do at quarterback because, I mean, I'll say it all the time, good wide receivers want to play with good quarterbacks. And so as you've seen the quarterback – you know, recruiting kind of just the development first. As you've seen the development of quarterbacks here and then the recruiting uptick, I think that's made Brian Hartline's job easier along with the fact that he is a former NFL and Ohio State wide receiver who's pretty personal with players. So I wanted to go back like we did last week. We'll do this each week and just kind of set the stage for the room. I didn't go back quite as far as I, I did with the running backs, I think, but I'm going back before the current roster to kind of tell you how this has devolved evolved over the years so I went back to 2014 I don't know why I picked that number but it seems like a bit of an important number because it's it's what you're talking about it's convergence of receiver talent and quarterback talent and then what happens because of that so go back to 2014 and I'm just including guys who were 
considered receivers coming out of high school. So, for instance, Curtis Samuel was, I think, still listed as an athlete when he was coming out of high school, which makes sense because that's kind of how he was used at Ohio State. Other guys uh, were listed as all-purpose backs, ended up becoming slot receivers, that sort of thing, H-backs. So here's just guys who were ranked ranked as receivers. In 2014, Johnny Dixon out of Florida, the number nine receiver in the country, Paris Campbell out of Ohio. Keep that in mind because that's going to become an important thing to come back on. Paris Campbell out of Ohio, number 22. Terry McLaurin out of Indiana, number 36. In 2015, K.J. Hill out of Arkansas, number 16. Alex Stump out of Ohio, number 37. 2016, Austin Mack out of Indiana, number 9. Benjamin Victor out of Florida, number 12. 2017, Trevon Grimes out of Florida, number 6. Jalen Harris out of Ohio, number 28. Elijah Gardner out of Texas, 115. 2018, Cameron Babb, Missouri, number 13. Chris Olave, California, number 68. 2019, Garrett Wilson, Texas, number 2. Jamison Williams, Missouri, number 13. This is where they were ranked among receivers in their position group. Mm -hmm. Julian Fleming out of Pennsylvania in 2020, number one. Jackson Smith and Jigba out of Texas, number five. G. Scott out of Washington, number five. Obviously, now he is a tight end. Buki Cooper out of Missouri, number 16. And then for 2021, Emeka Ibuka out of Oregon, number one. Marvin Harrison Jr. out of Pennsylvania, 14. Jaden Ballard out of Ohio, 15. So that was, and I, I should have told up the numbers, but it's like at least two guys per year for eight years so you're talking about almost 20 guys in this group and I think three out of Ohio four out of Ohio that doesn't seem to be a coincidence it seems to be a a position where they have identified this is maybe almost the most national position on the roster except maybe quarterback again but those two to me seem to be like the position where they feel like they have to go coast to coast to find the talent that they need they they do, and it's because Ohio's the state of Ohio, the Midwest area doesn't have year-round football where you have these spring football practices, which a lot of other places are in right now, like Caleb Burton, you know, Keon Gray's, and, and Quinn Ewers, their quarterback in that class, they're playing spring football right now. They get those extra practices of development. Urban Meyer, his entire tenure here, pushed for Ohio to have a, a period in the spring. Ryan Day has said, boys, that he's pushing for that as well. I, I doubt it happens, but that's the difference right there. That's why you see – Paris Campbell is so rare. That's why you, the, the fact that Jaden Ballard in the 2021 class was a top 100 wide receiver out of Ohio, that says something. The fact that Julian Fleming was the number one receiver in the country out of Pennsylvania, that's pretty – that's impressive given that they don't play football year-round. And especially in Julian's case, he's running track in the spring. Jaden Ballard's playing basketball. They're doing a lot of different stuff where they're not focusing and zeroing in on football the way that maybe Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and the Jigba were, which is why you see a lot of these national guys maybe a little bit more ready to play as five stars than you see maybe from a Midwest kid. Why does that affect skill position sometimes in a way that it doesn't affect other positions, linemen, those sorts of things, linebackers? I, I think just just rep, actual reps with it, right? Let's just be honest with you. In Ohio in the Midwest, it's smash mouth football. It's a lot of running football. So a lot of these offensive linemen and even defensive linemen, they get here as an offensive lineman able to run block. Defensive linemen get here kind of able to stop the run because they've been doing it the entire time. That's just how it's wired here. There's not a lot of – you don't have to necessarily worry about the pass so you sell out on the run. So it's what you're used to doing. That's why when Josh Myers got here, he really had to improve as a pass blocker. But as a run blocker, as we saw for two years, 
I mean, he's awesome in that. But the pass blocking, it's it's still something that's in development at this point. While if you take a guy like Wyatt Davis, he probably got here and was probably a little bit more able to pass block a little bit. We'll see with Donovan Jackson when he gets here out of Texas as well. Nicholas Petit-Frere, his, his, it wasn't about his ability to block and pass block. It was more just could he physically do the job because he needed to put some weight on. And so it's, it's just what are you used to doing? Right, and we'll see it with what we'll see how Paris Johnson next year kind of adjusts when we get to see more than maybe one or two snaps. How he is as a, as a pass blocker in comparison that we know he's going to be an awesome run blocker. I look back to the 2014 class because that seems important. And again, when you throw Curtis Samuel into it, it, it takes on a, a different angle. But even just those three receivers, Johnny Dixon, Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, I, I felt like the convergence of that receiver class with Dwayne Haskins coming in. And what those two groups meant to each other, what those two entities meant to each other, might have a big influence on what we're seeing at Ohio State right now. That Dwayne Haskins coming in and having the kind of passing season he did and really kind of putting Ohio State on the map as a passing attack and then getting those receivers into the NFL, you know, and especially Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin, you know, going to the combine, doing what they did, turning heads, now going to the NFL and obviously um, – Paris has run into a lot of injury issues, but Terry McLaurin's obviously doing very well for himself in the NFL. It seems like that sort of combination of events might have a, a big impact on what we're seeing at Ohio State right now from a recruiting standpoint even. And I think that's a good place to start because you can just – what they were brought here to do, you've got two outside receivers and you've got what was then known as the H-back. And that's what Paris Campbell was. He was a hybrid running back wide receiver who actually played more running back than wide receiver in high school because he's from St. Francis, St. Mary's in Ohio, and he's ridiculously fast. Terry McLaurin, as a lower-rated guy, was clearly in a situation where it was about development while Johnny Dixon was the top 100 guy. Dixon obviously ended up having a lot of injury history, almost walked away from the game of football early on there in his career and had to be convinced to play again. While Terry McCorn, I mean, he's just – look, that he's a he's, – he, he took full advantage of those five years, obviously. And then there were some things that because of the way Ohio State's offense is run, he was probably underutilized here for most of his career. While with Paris Campbell, I remember early on in his career, I wasn't covering the team, but I'm from Ohio, so I know who Paris Campbell is. He couldn't catch the ball to save his life. He's a guy where if you get the ball in his hands, he could be electric. He could have those 70-yard runs like he had against Michigan. His 20, those seven-yard runs where he just take a, he'd take a two-yard pass and just go with it like he did against Michigan when he took that jet sweep. But you send him down the field, he's probably not catching the ball. So that development was impressive to watch. But that's a great place to start because when they got here, what the offense was, it wasn't catered to elite wide receiver play the way it was when they left in their final year here. Looking back over those years that I listed off, you didn't have anyone higher than ninth except for Trevon Grimes, who did not stick here. And then I, it seems like there's a clear break in 2019, which makes sense. Um, not only was Ohio State coming off of this, you know, massively successful passing season with Ryan Day, with, uh, you know, the, the, the quarterbacks that they were starting to produce. And obviously Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams in 2019 didn't commit here knowing Justin Fields was going to be here for 2019. But the, the transition had already started to happen and the introduction of Brian Hartline into things. It's just it, – it's pretty obvious that the standard for wide receiver recruiting has changed over the course of these eight years. That it, there was a time when getting top ten guys, you know, Austin Mack, Johnny Dixon um, – you know, even, you know, someone like Cameron Babb was obviously a big recruit for 2018, the number 13 ranked receiver in the country. 
those guys, that's not the standard anymore. Now it's almost like if Ohio State doesn't get the number one or two ranked receiver in the nation in a class, people are like, well, what's wrong? And that's, that's a change. It used to be that way maybe at defensive end. It used to be that way maybe at cornerback. But we've seen that on the offensive side of the ball now in a, in a new way. We're in like a new era of Ohio State football. I think this is where the Garrett Wilson impact comes in. Uh, this is not a love affair for Garrett Wilson. This is just true. This is just what it is. Garrett Wilson committed here, as we all know, as a guy living in Texas with strong Ohio ties. That's what got him here. But that's Ryan Day. That's all Ryan Day. The, we'll give Brian Hartland a little bit of credit because he was a GA on the staff at that point. But uh, that, Zach Smith was still the wide receiver coach at the time that Garrett committed. That's Ryan Day going to Texas and, to- and telling Garrett Wilson, listen, I'm here. The quarterback play is going to improve, and we are going to throw the ball. And Garrett, when we first talked to Garrett, when he got here as an early enrollee and to, before the 2019 season, he said that that's how those conversations would go. They're going to throw the ball. He's a, and then that, that fall, he's, as a commit, is a guy trying to help build the class. He's seen Dwayne Haskins throw for 50 touchdowns. He's seen Terry McCorn and, and Paris Johnson and, and, and Johnny Dixon have 700-plus yards each. Paris Campbell obviously having 1,000 yards that season and Terry McCorn being a deep ball. So he's seeing all this take place and basically validate everything Ryan Day had been telling him. And Jamison Williams obviously joined a little bit later that summer, closer to, I think, when the season started. But that all starts there. So you tell the, a five-star wide receiver this is happening, and then you actually go do it. That opens the door for guys like Jackson McDejigba and Julian Fleming and Emeka Buka and G. Scott to go, oh, they're actually doing it now. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to come here and learn how to block, and then people aren't going to realize how good I was until I'm off in the NFL like it was with Michael Thomas. No, no, no. They're going to throw the ball here, and I'm going to be – let's just be honest here. Garrett Wilson is talented, but – would he be on PFF's top two wide receivers list right now if, if this was five years ago? Probably not because he wouldn't have the production. That, should, that kind of validates that statement. Even though we would all be screaming, listen, I promise you, Garrett Wilson is really good. They just don't throw the ball here. So that's where it starts. Ryan Day promising that wide receiver that it's going to happen and then it being validated in the most extreme way. But they didn't necessarily – they don't still necessarily throw the ball the way they did in 2018. There is a more balanced right. offense here too. And I think that's been – an important part of this. I think it gets into the next thing I want to talk about, which we will right after the break, which is Brian Hartline. So we will be back to talk more about Ohio State receiver recruiting. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. You're listening to the Buckeye Talk, the BFF's recruiting podcast. So what is it that sets Brian Hartline apart? Because as you said, he comes in and becomes a full-time assistant in for the 2019 season. And that's where we start to see the, res- the recruiting after that period, that point, is really ramps up as far as the receivers. You're starting to get just a pile of guys every year. And that's where I think maybe his influence is important. The contrast between what you were just talking about, you know, coming off of the 2018 season where they were just throwing a ball all over the place, they obviously still throw the ball a lot, but it's not nearly like that. It's a more balanced offense, yet they're still able to attract receivers here and uh, not fully keep them happy because we've got a couple guys who have left here yeah. within the last six months, <laughs> but they're, they're getting such an abundance of guys. It's not scaring any of the top receivers in the country to come here, even knowing that they don't throw the ball the way they did in 2018 when this process kind of all started and that the ball is not going to be shared maybe as much as it was in that year. Go back and look at the numbers. I don't have them in front of me, but they're obviously they were throwing, uh, 
several guys uh, were getting the ball a lot that year. Now it, it, it is a little bit tighter, but you're still getting those guys here. And I think that probably is a lot of Brian Hartline's influence. So from talking to those guys, the guys he's recruiting, what is it that sets Brian Hartline apart? I think it, it, it varies depending on who you're talking to, right? But what it boils down to is he knows what he's talking about and he's personable with these guys. Let's, I mean, let's just take Jaden Ballard once again. He's literally trying to walk the exact path that Brian Hartline walked. He's an Ohio kid living in Northeast Ohio who wants to, who wants to get to the NFL. Brian Hartline, a Northeast Ohio kid who wanted to get to the NFL. He came through Columbus and he de- developed there and then had a pretty solid NFL career. That's a, you can sell that. You can go to Jalen Brown and say, I know exactly what you want. I've been you, literally. So come learn from the guy who did exactly what you're trying to do. But then when you go na- national with it with guys like Julian Fleming and Kayla Bird, it's just he's personable. It's not always a talk conversations about football. It's about a lot of different stuff, you know, stuff recruits always say. We talk about life and all this stuff. They care about me, yada, yada, yada. But it's also, listen, he's developing these guys. Uh, Chris Olave might be the best route runner in the country. And regardless of the context of why he was a three-star co- recruit, he was a three-star recruit. And he has developed into – as we were talking about when we were just, you know, who we would take between who's going to go higher between Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson in the draft. That's all development with Chris Olave. Yes. The speed is what it is, but the route running, the soft hands, all the ways they use him. That's, that's development. Garrett Wilson's natural raw talent is what it is, but the development and the fact that they were using him in the slot and now they're throwing the back outside after also using them there as a freshman, that's development because he can go to a, he's going to be a first round draft pick and teams, whoever drafts him is going to be able to put him all over the field. That's development. We're going to see it with Julian Fleming, a guy who had a long way to go to learn how to play football at at the college football level as a wide receiver. We're going to see some of that development this year, Marvin Harrison jr. Some of this is development, even though he just got on campus. I mean, he's been doing zoom calls with Brian Hartline for a year and a half already. We're going to see that it's, it's the development side of it as well, where, no, they're probably never going to throw it the way they did in 2018, but also the personnel is never going to make them do that. The quarterback's going to be able to do to run one faster than either, either one of you can, the way Dwayne Haskins couldn't, and they're going to have a solid running game all the time. So it can be a more balanced and look like an NFL offense. But the usage is going to be enough where if you do what you're supposed to do, you can be Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. You can be considered the best wide receiver in the country, and people can look at you and say, maybe that's going to be the first guy taken in, in the next NFL draft. The usage, the, your stats are never going to be crazy, but they're going to be good enough that where you're going to be viewed a little differently headed into that draft, and that's what matters. So I ran through everything from 2014 to 2021. I didn't go to 2022, which is where we're heading now. So Ohio State has two commitments for 2022 tell people who they are and what they're about like what are they going to bring to Ohio State when they sign yes I'll start with Keon Gray since he's the latest commit and the lesser rated commit the number 146 player in the country and the number 19 wide receiver in the country he seems to be on a Chris Olave uh Jackson Smith the Jigba type trajectory I don't know if he quite gets to the five-star level the way that Jackson Smith the Jigba ultimately did but somewhere in between where he and Chris Olave ended I think is where Keon will end up a guy who was in the 300s to 400s when he hadn't got the offer from Ohio State he was then an Arizona commit as a kid from Chandler Arizona and as soon as he got that offer all momentum started headed towards the Buckeyes and he had no problem admitting that that was the case and then he all he needed to do was get on campus which he did earlier in the winter I think it was about February and then that Sunday before he got on a plane to get up out of here he committed to Ohio State gave them their second commit he's more of an outside guy even at the 
another Ohio State's got a lot of guys who are 6'1", 170, 6'1", 180, but not all of them are considered slot guys. He's maybe more of an outside guy. Actually plays like Chris Olave. He'll tell you back when he was in the 300s, you know, everything about that kid Chris Olave is me. From the way he plays, the way he runs routes, the soft hands, the speed to the size. So that's a Chris Olave style Z receiver for Ohio State. And then there's Caleb Burton, who is probably Garrett Wilson all over again. Five-star guy. He was the number one wide receiver in the country when he committed to Ohio State. And for most of last year, was the number one wide receiver in the country. And then he had a knee injury, I think his second or third high school game of the season. And you saw him start to tumble back down that list. So he's number 35 and number four among wide receivers right now. But expect him to shoot right back up. He just transferred to Lake Travis, which obviously is the same high school that Garrett Wilson went to. So that's, I mean, that's one of the best high schools in the country when it comes to developing talent. Matthew Baldwin as a wide receiver came out of there. As I mentioned, Garrett Wilson, the Cleveland Browns starting quarterback, Baker Mayfield went to Lake Travis. So there's always talent coming out of the high school. So once again, as I wrote last before, before he even committed, can Ohio State get the number one wide receiver in three straight recruiting classes? As long as Caleb Burton gets back to playing the way he was before the injury, yeah, they'll have signed the three, the number one wide receiver in three straight recruiting classes. And that should have been it. That should have been their class right there, given what the talent is. So that brings up an important transition. How does the Jamison Williams transfer change things, or does it change things? And do you see them changing what they're going to do in 22 we talked before that they're up to what 11 commitments now i believe right is 11 or 12 so we've 12 12 12 now 12 commitments now um and we have guessed that it might have been in the low 20s that they were going after for this class so can they use another scholarship on a receiver and do you expect them to I think they can now because I think they're having to reset some linebacker stuff now that Desan obviously chose his family, which, I mean, you can't, you can't hate a kid for doing that. Yes, you go to play with your brothers and your dad. I think Jamison Williams transferring opens up a seat in the room. And so, yeah, I think now they can go after a guy. And the good thing is they had already built some good relationships with some guys. So it's not like they're going after anybody new here. They only offered about – seven guys in the class and there's only three guys left who are undecided and they've got pretty strong relationship with each of those guys. So I'll run down that list. And it starts with, you know, CJ Williams, the number 72 player in the country, the number nine wide receiver out of California. He goes to Mountain Day High School. If you remember, it seemed like Ohio State was going to be in on a kid from Mountain Day High School and Damani Jackson, the number one corner before he decided to stay home. He'll be visiting on June 11th. So, I mean, once again, you get a guy on campus and you will see what happens. And then Kojo Antwi, who his recruitment's been all over the place. There was a point in this when it seemed like Ohio State was zeroing in on who would be their second receiver. It was down to Kojo and Keon. And you saw crystal balls for high crystal balls started to come in to play for Ohio State with both of those guys. Keon Grays pulled the trigger and some things maybe cooled with Kojo as then you started to see things pop up for Georgia. He is from Georgia, the number 73 player, and number eight wide receiver in the country. So from the same city that Jordan Hancock, the cornerback in the 2021 class is from, he goes to Lambert High School. So Georgia started to get some crystal balls. And then Texas A&M started to get momentum, which, which can happen. Like you'll see moment, like we saw it with Tristan Lee, his momentum went all over the place before he eventually settled in on Clemson, who was the first team in We'll see. He is also going to be taking a visit. He'll be here on June 18th, so the week after uh, 
CJ Williams gets here, he'll be here. So once again, we'll see what happens. I think the number one kid right now to pay attention to is, is Caleb Brown, though. A guy for a long time was a Michigan favorite out of Chicago, Illinois, the number 63 player and the number six wide receiver in the country, 5'11", 177, a guy who might end up being a slot or an outside guy. Uh, I was just talking to his coach. This comes out on Thursday. So Tuesday, I was talking to his coach for a story on Caleb Brown, and he's got, it, he's, he's got the speed. He's got the hands. He, a lot of his highlight film is him making these one-handed catches that you see wide receivers sometimes try to ha- practice when they're just going through warm-ups and whatnot. He had a crystal ball pop-up from Steve Wolfong Monday. And then Tuesday, another one got added. And so he's, it seems like he's slowly trending away from Michigan and might be trending towards Ohio State. He hasn't set any official visits yet, but don't be surprised if Ohio State gets one. You're saying those crystal balls popped up for Ohio State? Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Um, where, where in, where in, which high school is he? St. Rita. Okay. That's a good football high school for people who don't know. That's, that's a, the Chicago Catholic league. It's not just a, a public school or whatever like that. That's a, you know, uh, St. Rita, Mount Carmel, brother rice, those kind of places have, have produced some decent uh, college football talent over the years. And um, so that, that's not a bad, that's not a bad uh, origination place to come from. Um, is it just a matter of the James Williams transfer opening up a scholarship or do they need another receiver in this class. I mean, can you ever say somebody needs in this situation when you got this many riches, does, does a billionaire need point. another dollar? That's know? my point. Like is, is that's my point. Like, do they need another receiver? And if, if not, couldn't that scholarship be better used somewhere else? I might, I, I think there's a, a yes and a no answer. The no is obviously because look at all the talent you have. You don't need to add another guy to that equation, but at the same time, it's yes because with this type of talent, there comes consistent attrition. I won't be surprised if every year, you know, they're bringing in one, top 100 receivers, but they're also losing top 100 receivers. Like we just saw with Jamison Williams and Mookie Cooper left at the same time that they just brought in Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, Jaden Ballard, and Emeka Abuka. So from that, yeah, it's just for the standpoint of keeping your numbers where they should be. Yeah, they need to add a third wide receiver. I think three wide receivers a class is pretty standard. That's what you want. You want an outside guy, two outside guys, and a slot guy at this point. So from that standpoint, for keeping the numbers, yes. From a standpoint of are they in dire need of a talent infusion in that room because we're not sure who's going to play, probably not. But it is a situation where if you feel like you've got an open scholarship that you can add and you can add a wide receiver – you take it if even you take it if, if if there is an extra scholarship available and there's a kid that you really really like you you take that kid every time. You and I and Doug had some arguments on this podcast when it came to the quarterback recruiting about how concerned they should be about setting themselves up for a negative situation. Well, you know where you basically have to chase off somebody or you're accidentally chasing off somebody. And then does somebody feel like they got job? Does somebody feel like they got lied to, et cetera, et cetera. This is two receivers who've left in the last, since the end of last season, Mookie Cooper and now uh, James Williams from 2019 and 2020 classes, both have left since the end of last season. Any indication that that kind of dynamic could eventually be a problem in this receiver room? And something to keep an eye on for recruiting in the future. I, I think it's something to keep an eye on when you're talking about recruiting the state of Missouri, since both of those kids are from Missouri. What happens the next time Ohio State goes looking for a wide receiver in that area? Does he think twice about coming up here? That's, I mean, you have to think about that. But other than that, 
I would say no. The one-time transfer rule exists now, and so kids can leave and then go play somewhere right away. But then also, I mean, Ohio State's putting themselves in the category with Alabama and Clemson, and Alabama does this every year, obviously to a different level and a crazier extreme, but does it hurt Alabama's recruiting? I mean, they still have the number one recruiting class pretty much every year. I mean, they still wouldn't got Jamison Williams. It's just, okay, maybe you have a year where you have some off recruiting because you just went and got Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, and Jaden Waddle within a two-year span. And so maybe your 2019 class is a little off. Okay, you go get somebody in the transfer portal or you just go crazy in the 2020 and 21 classes and so it makes up for that. And so – I think there's a way to handle it where you don't have kids bad-mouthing you when you leave the program. But I think at this point in a world where kids can leave and go anywhere they want and play right away and Ohio State's going to recruit at this level, the most you can, you can, you can assure guys is we're going to develop you at a high level, which you should see through other guys that we do that, and there's going to be an opportunity for you to earn your spot. Now, you're going to have to keep it, as we saw with Jameson Williams. You can't just – earn it and think that the guy out behind you can't come steal it from you because that can't happen but you're gonna have a chance to show you why you why we should be playing you and if you can't do that it's too much talent for us to stay stuck on you and that's the only thing you can promise a kid and that seems to be the, the situation here I think you're right I think it only matters if you're not winning if you're winning which Ohio State's doing getting to the playoff and if you're putting guys in the NFL then I don't think it matters. I, I think that will win out because people still want to come here and take the chance that you can do that with them. Looking ahead for 2023, what's happening there already? Is there groundwork being laid for that class as well? Yeah, obviously kind of going out there at the same way. They've already offered five guys, and all but one of them is already a top 100 receiver. That includes the top two wide receivers in the country, and Brandon Ennis out of Florida, six foot 188 pounds, the number seven player overall, and Jalen Hale out of Longview, Texas, the number 12 player, six foot two, 175. Then also going down the list a little bit, Carnell Tate out of IMG Academy, the number 47 player and seven um, – wide receiver Jonte Cook the second who was the most late he's the latest guy to get an offer for the wide receivers in 2023 number 57 player the number 10 wide receiver and then the lone non-top 100 guy Braylon James who was at Del Valley Texas at Del Valley High School the high school Caleb Burton just came from so those two know each other pretty well as teammates the number 121 player number 18 wide receiver so the philosophy doesn't change every year we're going to go out there and get the best wide receivers we can and it's your job to you know, rise above the pack in the room where, I, I mean, I think we said it one day when we were projecting that like Ohio State could have a situation where at some point they have the number one, a guy who was the number one quarterback, the number one running back, and then three guys who are all the number one wide receiver as they're starting offensive weapons. That continues to be the case here, which, which you go after guys like Brandon Ennis and Jalen Hale. Every single year, we're going to go get the five-star. And then the five-star, five-stars within the room are going to play, and everyone else is going to have to figure it out. Well, that wraps up our recruiting reset for the receiver room. Come back after the break. We have a couple of other topics that we need to address um, about recruiting that are big on people's minds right now based on what we're hearing from our texters. Stay with us on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk, wrapping things up. We have started a new feature through the tech subscribers and on the site. For people who follow cleveland.com uh, previously, you probably all have seen uh, Hey Hoinsey or Hey Doug. I think Doug was doing one for a while. Basically like a question and answer feature that we do 
through the site. People ask questions and we'll answer them. We have transferred that to the tech subscribers. If you don't subscribe, 614-350-3315, two-week free trial. You guys probably all know the, the spiel by now. Tech subscribers can send us questions. Tell us your name and where you're from. We will answer them by sending a text back out to everybody. So you'll get credit for having asked us the question and we'll, we'll get the conversation started there. We've already had some really good ones. I, Doug and I are doing them kind of about football in general. Steven is doing one called Hey Steven that's about recruiting. And right away, you got kind of bombarded with questions about one specific topic. So why don't you say what that topic was and what is going on with that situation right now? Yeah, it's funny. I was discussing it with my boss before I actually sent out the call. And I'm like, I know what the first question is going to be. So I'm just going to pre-write my answer and just start there. Listen, I couldn't tell you how many times I saw the words, what's up with JT Tumala? What's up with JTT? Hey, man. Hey, Steven. I thought JT Tumala was supposed to be making a decision in early April. Well, it's May 10th. What's going on there? So let's just reset this. And we're probably going to have to continue to do this until – he decides to pop his head up and talk again to Brandon Huffman at 247 because that's the only person he talks to. Everybody else will talk to other people, but he's only talking to him. JT Tumalau, the number three player in the country and the number two strong side defensive end, the last remaining remnant of the 2021 recruiting class who is pretty much down to Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon, USC, and Washington at this point. He is not deciding to do anything until he can visit schools. He has been, there have been plenty of recruits who have said that, but he has been hell bent on that strategy from the get go. And so every time the recruiting dead period got pushed back, that pushed back his decision a little bit longer and allowed him to just live his life as a kid and go play basketball and do teenage stuff. So yes, initially there was a report out there that he would be making a decision in April. But that was built around the idea that there was also optimism that the recruiting dead period would be ending on April 15th. Hence why you saw a lot of schools start putting out spring game dates around April 16th, April 20th, you know, mid-April and on. One, because that's typically when they happen, but also because by doing that, you can have a really normal spring game because recruits can be there as well. That's usually a huge recruiting weekend for schools. When that didn't happen, Neither did the decision because he couldn't get on campuses. What we have to remember here is there is a top five, but it's probably Alabama and Ohio State at this point. He's been to Alabama. A lot of his family's never been there. No one from the Tumalau family has ever been to Columbus before. That relationship has been built with Larry Johnson strictly through phone calls and Zooms, which has made it difficult. And when you're asking a kid from the other side of the country, a Polynesian kid from Washington, who's never been somewhere, you're asking him to come here and live here for three to four years away from his family when no one has ever seen the location, that's asking a lot. You can, everybody can't be Travion Henderson and just decide to do that, but then also – you know, wait another six months before he just comes up here on his own on a self-guided visit. Some kids want to see where they're going before they get there. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so it's a crazy thought, right? That a kid would want to see a place before you ask him to go spend the next three to four years of his life there. And so they're waiting until the visits open up, which will be June 1st. So I would expect him to be taking a visit during one of these June weekends to Ohio State. If Ohio State had their way, it'd be for the Buckeye Bash when the most people are going to be here. All the commits from the 2022 class will be here. So that's probably their best chance at getting him to come here is if he comes that June 4th. But at some point in June, I expect him to make a decision. I expect him to make a visit. Now, the late signing period runs through August. So if he really wanted to, he could wait until August 1st to make a decision. He's probably not going to do that because that's not ideal for anybody. 
whether it's the coaching staff or the program or him for his development, as we just saw Donovan Jackson over the weekend, his parents just dropped him off here so he can get involved in the summer stuff, a 2021 guy who did not early enroll. So I would expect him to take a visit in June. And then in the next couple of weeks here, you'll start seeing momentum start flowing towards either Alabama or those crystal balls who have lived on his 247 sports profile for over a year to start heating up. And then you expect a decision in the next couple of weeks after that. But there will not be a decision made from JT Mutumalau until he's gotten a chance to take visits. So there's no point in even having a discussion about it until that's happened. I understand where fans are coming from who follow recruiting because let's, let's, let's just put it in the, the recent history. There were reports out there that Henry Toa Toa was coming to Ohio State, that he yeah. was or at least leaning towards Ohio State. There was a crystal ball prediction out there, as you mentioned before, that the, those reliable crystal balls. There was one that had him going to Ohio State. And then the longer that dragged on without the commitment that people thought was going to come, and we've seen this happen with other recruits, right? Guys who are you know, supposedly trending towards Ohio State, leaning towards Ohio State, soft verbals to Ohio State, however you want to say it, and then they end up going somewhere else. And the longer those situations drag on, people get paranoid. So you're saying this is not one of those situations. That this is, there are times when you should read that into a situation, right? And this is not one of them. I think 99.9% of the time you should read into it and get worried when you see it and the kid doesn't pull the trigger. Keontae Goodwin, you just brought Keontae Goodwin, Damani Jackson, Amani Winfield, all, Will jo- I mean, all these guys who were – seemingly Buckeye lots and how they're not coming. They're staying close to home because of a lot of different reasons. This is the point zero one time where that's not the case because he's been so hellbent and consistent on this strategy of going about his recruitment and nothing has changed every single time anyone has ever talked to anybody in that family. It's been, we're not making a decision until we visit. We're not making a decision until we visit. There's never been a point where it's like, well, at some point we might just, it hasn't gone from we can't do anything until we visit to we maybe we might do it on our own to okay maybe we might just need to make a decision and or there's no there's not been an update when the one time transfer rule came down where it seems like if you read the tea leaves maybe we make a decision now and if we need to reevaluate in a year we can because you know we can transfer one time it's just been the same consistent message so because of that yes 99.9% of the time you're right fans you should get worried if you see crystal balls and they're on 9 and 10 and then maybe in a month they're on six and seven, and then they cool off, and then all of a sudden the momentum's at another school. Yes, that is not this situation. It's the, the, the rare occasion where that's not the situation. And so we just, it's just patience at this point until he can get somewhere. So like I said, five days a week you're getting answers from Stephen to questions like that. Uh, they won't all be that long, obviously. We can only write so many letters yeah. on, a, on a text. But we are then also putting them twice a week. Those will be compiled and published at the site, cleveland.com slash OSU. So five days a week, you're getting those answers directly to your text, 614-350-3315. Stephen, what else from a recruiting standpoint do we have in the hopper? So June is coming, which means it's going to be a fun time if you cover recruiting or if you want to watch recruiting, if you if you read recruiting, because there's going to be a lot of showcases going on. Ohio State's uh, summer camps are coming up pretty much every Tuesday and Wednesday starting on June 2nd. And so there'll be a lot of recruits and a lot of targets up here that I can talk to and see in person and see how these guys look and, you know, talk to them about how their process is going and whatnot. So look out for that type of stuff. It's very similar to how I was texting off of the all American camp series that happened a month ago. It'll be similar to that. 
Um, the opening hopefully is happening this year. That's a knock on wood situation. Right now they're doing regionals. We'll see if they get back to the actual full event where all the top players in the country get together at a location and they go through all these drills and showcases and seven on seven tournaments. That's always a great time. All of the top players in Ohio State's program right now all went through that program. The Rivals five-star challenge is in Atlanta on June 19th and 20th, kind of the same thing as the opening where it's a collection of all these guys in one place. So a lot of recruiting stuff is going to be happening this summer that you guys should be on Cleveland.com keeping an eye on and also signing up for the text to receive that information first. Well put. That'll do it for this new Thursday edition of the BFFs podcast. For Stephen Means, I'm Nathan Baird. That was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>